0: Welcome to EPRI Unplugged, a podcast of the Electric Power Research Institute. I'm Donald Cutler, the West Coast voice of the podcast. Today we are joined by Arshad Mansour. In January, Arshad took on the role of EPRI's president, in which he oversees EPRI's research strategy and execution, building on his years of experience as our SVP of R&D, among other leadership positions. Arshad has more than 25 years experience in the electric power research industry across several roles. He earned his doctorate degree in electrical engineering from UT Austin, hook horns, and completed Harvard's advanced management program and MIT's reactor technology course. We don't need to go into a really long introduction for Arshad because today we're talking about the big picture, the future of electric power in the United States, around the world, what keeps our lights on, and what keeps us powered up to go. So thank you so much, Arshad, for joining us today. Thank you, doll. Excellent. I'm really excited to be talking about this because we get to talk about big big ideas today. So let's start with that big picture. Uh, The electric power grid is on the precipice of major change, right? We're integrating renewables, they're two-way power flows, there's technology at the grid edge like smart homes and large-scale adoption of EVs, changes in demand curves and more, all pushing on a system that has worked in one way very well for almost a century. So how will the electric power sector, utilities, customers, and a growing group of diverse stakeholders uh, support this system and keep it reliable and affordable into the future. I, I think you pointed out
1: um, what we are already seeing today. Mm-hmm. And when we, when somebody asks us that, uh, how fast this change is going to happen, and um, the main focus is the change will happen at the pace of the customer. Mm-hmm. And we come out of that. We say the six C's: cost, comfort, convenience, control, choice, and clean. And different customers. Have different expectations. In different order. And technology is enabling some of those expectations. Mm -hmm. And it's not just residential customers, it's residential, commercial, industrial. Mm -hmm. So their adoption of these technologies brings a great opportunity for the grid, which has been the scientific marvel of the last century, to also evolve as another scientific marvel that we take both sides of the equation Mm -hmm. the traditional grid, the central resources, and all the things that you mentioned. Smart thermostat, EV, two-way power flow, and integrate them in a way so that it works reliably mm-hmm. and it is still affordable. Right. And what EPRI has done, if you, if you go back several years ago, working with other top leaders, the vision of an integrated grid, the essence of the vision was how do we transition this system that has worked so well mm-hmm. to this new expectation as customers embrace technologies. Based on their needs for the six C's,
0: yeah, and I guess that really gets into the into the core of of, of what we're doing here, right? So, in this technology, in this in this transition, where does R and D fit? I mean, we, we're currently seeing a lot of this technology already out there, right? We we kind of feel feel the push. We're getting to the edge of that cliff, going off the cliff for EV adoption. We're seeing. Uh, conversations about uh, storage almost everywhere, in homes, in businesses, uh, everything's going on. So let's take that step back. Um, what is the role of R&D right now? Is it more of a supportive role, or are we really pushing to look way deep into the future? I think if you step back,
1: the one thing we cannot take our eyes off is... Yes, we are transitioning the system, but we have an existing system of trillion-dollar infrastructure yeah. that has been reliable and affordable, and continues to be with that. So there is a research need on sensors and digitalization and artificial intelligence in all those areas. And how do we more effectively manage our existing infrastructure mm-hmm. cost-effectively, reliably? But in addition to that, we are transitioning to this new integrated grid. Right. And you mentioned I'll give an example. Let's take electric vehicle. Is the R and D need for the industry to develop the next generation electric vehicle? No, that right. would be done by the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. But let's look at some of the R&D that EPRI and the industry has done and continues to do to enable just transition on one of these technologies called electric vehicle. Yeah. So, for example, one of the things that EPRI did many years ago was standardize the plug that an electric vehicle will use so that you can use the same plug at anywhere. Mm-hmm. And all or most of the manufacturers are using that plug. That was a standardization and interoperability. That came through the active research that FD did with the stakeholders.
0: Yeah, it's a very collaborative approach.
1: Very collaborative approach. We're looking at charging infrastructure. Right. How do you most effectively provide charging infrastructure, not just to the masses, Mm -hmm. but also your transit bus system to Walmart's desire or FedEx's desire to electrify their fleet? Mm -hmm. And that is a nexus between transportation and the electricity sector. How best do you do that? What's the role of energy storage? So these are some profound questions. Mm-hmm. So technologies are coming from automotive industry and a lot of startup companies. Right. But how those technologies get integrated with the electric system. Mm-hmm. So we have an optimized
0: grid is really where the most R&D need that we see in the future. And that's actually a really great transition into another set of questions in, in the concept of electrification. Generally, an efficient electrification, specifically, you're talking about electrifying fleets and storage, and, and a little bit about the carbon reduction, uh, in 2018, uh, EPRI published a national assessment about efficient electrification that outlined a number of scenarios uh, regarding the possible path forward. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of R&D that needs to be done, uh, development of technologies, uh, deployment of technologies, another D that we need to talk about, um, for this efficient electrification across our economy. Where are we today and and how is that going? Because I think that that presents possibly really an interesting uh, cross-section of of the future uh, that we're talking about with this integrated grid as well as utilizing these trillions of dollars of technology and infrastructure that we already have. So where are we going, where are we So um,
1: Before we, I think whenever we talk electrification, you mentioned efficient electrification. Mm -hmm. So energy efficiency and electrification goes hand in hand. Yeah, Um, A phrase that has stuck to my mind that I've heard that use less electricity when you can. Mm-hmm. That's energy efficiency. Yeah. So that you can use more electricity where you should. That's electricity. It's an
0: interesting point. And where are we
1: today? So mm-hmm. go back 130 years. The percent of electricity that we used in the U.S. was 0%. Mm-hmm. We were in Chicago, the city of light. That's when the light bulbs Edison came. Right. Today, 20% of the energy we have in the United States that we use is electricity. 80% is not. right. So we've gone 0 to 20 in 130 years. Our assessment is showing that with the, with the technologies that are coming up in electric vehicle, transportation, heat pump, and other areas, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity. We don't have to wait for another 130 years to go from 20 to 40. We can cost-effectively actually go to a place where maybe 50% mm-hmm. of the energy that we use to heat our home to drive our cars are coming from cleaner and cleaner electricity sources. So that's the amazing opportunity that the electrification study came up with. Mm-hmm. And as we look at the electrification study, we should not also lose sight on what has helped us to continue to reduce emissions, especially from the U.S. perspective. And that's natural gas. Yeah. And electrification and natural gas both will play a role in the next 10, 15 years. To continue to reduce emission but at some point you have to also clean natural gas right and that's the longer 2035 2040 where we will have to address how to get to a clean energy future with natural gas and some of the work that we have undertaken in our project 2x and low carbon research initiative it's really long-term mm-hmm. it focuses on how do we get to an edge-zero or very low-carbon in the distant future, 2050, which is not that too distant not anymore. Not that distant, right. No. And uh, how do we get there most effectively? So that's a long-term R&D need that we are stepping in with the industry. Near-term, next 10 years, yeah, wonderful opportunity to electrify transportation. Yeah, And there is a lot of work that will be needed for a FedEx or for city transit of San Francisco to start changing their
0: fleets to electricity yeah, there's a lot of infrastructure and technology and and reliability because people are used to things just working. And so that gets to, that's a question that I hear a lot. Is uh, if we start plugging in all of these cars, if we start putting all of these buses, if we start storing tons of electricity, if we put a ton of solar on every single house in California, which is one of the mandates uh, from the state here, uh, what does that do to reliability in this electrified future? That's a great question because, if you start electrifying and 50% of our energy is electrification,
1: maybe 30% of the cars are electric vehicles, mm-hmm. maybe FedEx, UPS, Walmart have changed 50% of their fleet, 80% of their fleet. There's a fundamental change that we would need in how resilient the energy system is, right? The electric grid, especially, needs to be a lot more resilient to support that amount of growth in electrification, especially in transportation. So, it's always good to have a long-term focus on where this industry should go mm-hmm. to enable electrification and to enable a clean energy future. And in safety, we say that that our we aspire to have zero safety incidents. Right. I think we should aspire to have zero blackout incidents. Hmm. I think we should aspire to reduce by a factor of 10x the time it takes to restore a system when you have a natural calamity like a hurricane or a storm. Well, because as we are looking at EV infrastructure and other things, we can lose sight on the need for resiliency Will be very different mm-hmm. in 2030 when 20% of the vehicle miles traveled or one out of four new cars are electric. Right. So that's another R&D need where EPRI is stepping up with the members, with national labs, with other stakeholders on how do we fundamentally have a more resilient
0: uh, electric infrastructure. That's a really... Uh a critical way to think about this, right, is that, you know, the the energy system that we had was much more diversified uh, in the past, though it required a lot uh, more input. It required uh, higher carbon output. And now we're looking towards this cleaner alternative, but we're seeing it in a a smaller and tighter space. So that resiliency question becomes so much more critical. And I, I, you know, it's, when you put it into those numbers, the 20% of cars and and all of that, it really does make you think about how we're gonna to get to those 10x reduction. And, and, it,
1: and I think it's 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 good to have aspiration. Right. And critical issues like resiliency needs some aspirational goal. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, having a system that will have zero blackout and having a system where we will have a 10x improvements in restoration, that's a good aspirational goals to have mm-hmm. because the role of electricity is going to continue to be more and more important in the whole
0: economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that gets, that gets, that, that, that's the core of it, right, is, is making sure that the system works uh, and, and, and finding the right tools to make it work. And so that, that gets me to my kind of fun next question, because that was pretty serious. So let's, let's tone it down just a little bit. You've been working in this space for 25 years. What's the most impressive thing that you've seen, the most interesting development That, you know, you never would have thought would have turned into something, but then it became the most important thing you've ever
1: seen. There are
0: many, but if I have to pick one, it
1: actually comes from an adjacent industry that has changed the way we think about the electric system. Mm -hmm. And that's when Steve Jobs came up one day and said, we've got a phone. Yeah. So mobile computing, we call it iPhone, you can call it any other phone mobile computing have fundamentally changed several ways that we actually operate the electric grid hmm. and you would think why what does mobile computing yeah, it takes I'm a lot bad. more electricity surprises surprises so number wow. one because of mobile computing we have ubiquitous wi-fi almost in every home that's true and because we have that we have smart thermostats and we have other controllable loads which is a big part of the grid transition that's hmm. just one example of right. how mobile computing has changed second when the companies that makes these, the semiconductor industry, the Intel's of the world, when they went into mobile computing, they have to optimize the power or energy that they use in that mobile computing device, so your iPhone battery can last for another five years. Right. They also made tremendous investment in making battery technologies better. Right, right, right. We're seeing so that. So when today. you do battery technologies better, guess how it impacts the electric sector? It enables electric transportation. Does. It enables energy storage in the grid for the future transition. When you make things more efficient, I give this example in 15 years ago, if you wanted a large TV, you went to Best Buy and bought what was called a plasma TV. Yep. We also call plasma TV a toaster in the home because it was like 400 watt light bulbs. That's <laughs> how much energy or electricity the plasma TV consumed. Yeah. You go to Best Buy today, you buy an LED, you buy an LCD. That's one-fifth, one-sixth of the electricity. Okay. That improvement Happened in a large screen TV because it first happened in an iPhone. Right. The iPhone screens became more vivid but less energy consumption. Right. So efficiency that was driven by mobile computing is starting to come in televisions. Efficiency when you have a gasoline car, mm-hmm. you really don't care much about how much energy the air conditioning uses. Mm-hmm. You got a tank full of gas and you can replace it. When you have an electric vehicle, every single amp or wattage of electricity that you use should be optimized. So they're now innovating in air conditioning, heaters mm-hmm. in cars. One day those innovation will come in the electric sector. Your home will have a better heating system. So sometimes things happening in a adjacent tra- in industry could have a profound impact in our industry. And I think the advent of mobile computing communication, ubiquitous communication efficiency driven by the need for more functionality in a mobile phone is all driving a
0: lot of the changes that we are seeing today. Oh, that's fascinating. I 100% wasn't. I, that's not where <laughs> I thought that answer would go. And, uh, you know, breaking my own rules, not knowing the answer to my own questions. Uh, but that's fascinating and, and really gets to the core of why R&D is so critical is that you don't know what these things are going to be used for and that they could be completely useful In a completely different uh, setting and that that gets to the core of of what what we do and what all rnd organizations do and especially ones that do it for the public benefit so that's a fascinating um a fascinating answer and so thank you um and just kind of transitioning a little bit and before we get to the end one more kind of substantive question over the past few years uh epri has really expanded its footprint internationally um, what are the differences you're seeing around the world? Kind of getting back to one of those answers. I don't know, maybe it is another iPhone or you know, a, a Samsung device or something that you're seeing around the world uh, that you know, is different than here in the United States. Um, and what can the U.S. learn from you know, our, our, our members from around the world and, and what could uh, be better shared outside of um, the continental United States with other, with other members and other electric systems uh, globally? So I
1: think you have to look at globally based on regionally, Mm -hmm. needs are different. One of the biggest difference we see in the European system and U.S. system is primarily focusing on the desire to go to a carbon neutrality. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, that focus has started many, many years ago. Right. We are clearly seeing, even in the just last 10, 15 months, uh, large members, utilities, not necessarily just in California and New York, Mm -hmm. are coming up with net zero. Right. So we have opportunities to learn from Europe what they did right, what they may not have done right, mm-hmm. as we start transitioning into a low-carbon future. But you look at India, you look at China, they're seeing massive growth. Their, their economic growth, they're at the stage where maybe U.S. was 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. To power that growth, they're also looking at a combination of both fossil sources and they're looking at a combination of clean sources. And there's lessons to be learned China is a great example for lessons to be learned. They made a decision that in order to support their economic growth, they can't just do it with fossil fuel. Right. So if you look at there are more than there are 10 times more electric buses, maybe 100 times more in China than the rest of the world together. Wow. Because they did that you have to control air pollution in Shanghai in Beijing. Right. So the infrastructure that is needed, the policy the regulation that is needed to drive towards some of these things, we have opportunities to learn from developing countries as well.
0: well and that, that gets to kind of my my last question here. Uh, what's your vision for the future? Where, where do you see us going, both here in EPRI specifically, but really much bigger for the industry, for the energy sector, for the electric power sector? So I think it, it's, um, and the
1: more we start looking at how do we evolve to a clean energy future in the long term, mm-hmm. we start thinking about, we can't just look at electricity as one source. The economy uses more than electricity, right? right? The economy uses gasoline, the economy uses natural gas, and electricity has a unique opportunity to start reducing the emissions from the rest of the economy. In parallel, there are other sources. If you go to Northeast, in a very cold climate, a lot of folks still are using heating from heating oil. Right. If you move that to natural gas, you save carbon emission today. Right. So natural gas also has a role in the next 10, 15 years to continue to start reducing emission. So this interaction between electricity, natural gas, and then the opportunity that electricity one day may create another fuel like hydrogen that could be a substitute for natural gas in the long term. So now electricity becomes the fuel that is not just driving your car, but also creating additional fuel that is driving a plane, Mm -hmm. that is driving a ship, that is powering a ship, that is powering the heating. So that future of an energy industry that relies on clean electricity, both for direct electrification, that's when you drive an electric car, and indirect electrification. Where is that clean electricity creates clean hydrogen, and that clean hydrogen is driving a bus. Mm -hmm. So I think that vision of the future is a vision that shows a thriving electricity sector, a thriving other energy sources that are coming from clean electricity. And how can we transition that in a reliable, affordable, and thoughtful way? I think that is the It's not just a question of the next decade, I think it's the question of the century and research, R&D, EPRI, National Labs, and other research institutes are perfectly poised to address that
0: challenge. extremely exciting I mean that's that, that, that that's what gets me up to talk about it I'm sure that's what helps you uh, hop in the car hopefully an electric one and get to the office um, and so that's that's a really great way to sum this up is that we have incredible opportunity here in the space and these were big pictures and I'm sure that we'll uh, be digging down into them over the course of the next year the next uh, months and you know into the next century hopefully uh, together uh, forwarding and supporting the electric power sector for the benefit of the public. So thank you so much for getting to these big pictures. We hope to have you back to talk about some of the smaller pictures and some of the exciting things that we're doing. So thank you very much. And thank you to the entire EPRI Unplugged team, executive producer and host, Amy Mills, editor and technician, Matthew Oakley, and post-production and marketing, Frank Ciano. And please remember to subscribe to EPRI Unplugged wherever you listen to your podcasts. And until next time, we're shaping the future of electricity.